0: You're listening to Whoa! Hot
1: luck! Hey everyone, welcome back to the Good Pop Culture Club for Friday, August 7th, 2020 We're a day before Chinese Father's Day Happy Chinese Father's Day to everybody
2: That is such an obscure holiday, Marvin It's um,
1: <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's a marketing thing Right, because
2: like all Father's Day, August in 8th days?
1: in Chinese is Papa.
2: Oh, Papa, that's cute. But what are you supposed to get your dad on Chinese Father's Day? Like, what's the traditional present?
1: Good grades, good career, financial stability, money,
2: a grandchild. <laughs> so, what is a mother, Chinese Mother's Day? What day is that? Mm. Uh, if my Chinese mother were to answer, it would be it's every day because yeah. she does everything <laughs> for you. You owe her every day Do you know how poor she was growing up So you could live in the lap of luxury? (laughs) Anyway
1: Anyways, uh, welcome to the podcast Where we talk about all the good pop That gets us through our days With me to talk about said good pop Self-proclaimed professional Asian American Jess Chu
2: And her dog, Chowder And Chowder (laughs) Oh, Chowder Chowder! Calm down! (laughs) I put a shirt on him though; it's really cute. I'll show you guys later. <laughs> he looks like a bachelor going through a midlife crisis.
1: Is that his dog age? Is he? A, he is he? A, no, is he a he's a man? young
2: adult right now. No, he's mm. a young adult. He's like college age right now.
1: So he's probably one of those hipster college kids who like like the dress. Yeah, I like think he adults. he
2: definitely looks like a Filipino fuck boy right now. Like the collared <laughs> short sleeve shirt, you know, dig out. It's it's a look. Well, you, um, know, you might have a yeah, type. I definitely do. Okay, sorry. Say that thing again.
3: <laughs>
1: Oh, no, I'm keeping this all in. What are you talking about?
2: Okay. Hello? (laughs) Uh, What's happening? Keep it. I don't care. I dare you.
1: And also, culture editor Han Nguyen.
2: Hi.
0: My (laughs) pets are not attired in any such way.
1: Yeah, Han, you have cats, right? I do have
0: cats, and I don't really dress them. Um, Cats
2: would never let you put clothes on them.
0: You can, and it depends on the cat, but like the most I've done is uh, little bandanas because uh, I got a puppy bowl kit or something like that i
2: don't know oh that's adorable
1: yeah so just I have to ask because i haven't checked instagram in a week because i've just yes. been bad at social media has there been yes. any cafe updates
2: i am now the proud mother of two twin sour bread loafs and they turned out better than i expected i had to literally cart them to arrowhead so my family went to like, so responsibly, it was just us. Went to Arrowhead for a weekend in celebration of my father's birthday. Airbnb, didn't see anybody else, but just to get away. And I was like, oh my God, I need to find a babysitter for my starter. And it's, <laughs> I, let me tell you, it's really hard to find someone to, uh, who will watch your sourdough starter and feed it for like two days. So <laughs> I took my sourdough starter up into the mountains and then brought it back. And I, I had this was already the second one. I already killed the first one on day 6 of an 8-day process. So I was like, okay, I cannot kill this one. It's been like 20 days already. So I fed it and then it wasn't working. Like the you're supposed to do like a float test when to see if it's like has enough bubbles in it. It was not floating. I was like, I literally cannot do this again. I'm just going to bake it and see what happens and it turned out great. My sourdough is beautiful. Nice. So now I've made bread.
1: I mean, you brought your sourdough son up into the mountains. You know, let yes. let him run around.
2: Yeah, um, he or she—I don't
1: know what gender your your your, a, your son is. I
2: think I think they're theys. <laughs> um, you know, non-binary and not gender fluid. So they, you know, were able to kind of experience a world outside the home, and then they came back, and now they've matured into adult loaves, and they taste delicious.
1: They traveled the world on their gap year. You know, now they're yeah. professional bread yeah. making. Kiddos. Yeah,
2: i'll bring you some <laughs> there's actually way more bread than like two people can reasonably eat in the time that fresh bread will mm. basically stale my dad's like pre-diabetic he doesn't eat carbs it's mm. just me and my mom and like it's just too much bread for two people to eat
1: you know sourdough is actually better for diabetics too because they um they take longer to become glucose
2: oh
0: maybe i, I should not try know that. that yeah then i'm not diabetic but i always feel like i eat like a diabetic or at least my <laughs> body's happier if i eat that way
1: You know, (laughs) cutting down carbs is probably a good idea because we eat too much to begin with. Yeah, let me tell
0: you, I've never liked sugar, you know, Um, my body's happier when I have like honey or or, um, what's the one that starts with A? Um, Agave. Agave, yeah. Mm. So like when I put that in drinks, it's so much happier than if
2: I have sugar in drinks and stuff like that. Well let me tell you it will make you cut down your carbs. If you bake your own fucking bread and it takes eight fucking days, <laughs> you will eat less bread.
0: I don't eat bread anyway. So that's the that's the easiest thing for me, but I love my noodles and
2: rice.
1: Bread is great.
2: And dumplings. Things so right I'll bring, in bring you I'll bring you some, Marvin. I'll bring you some Oh, uh, I'm looking forward to it.
1: <laughs> oh, well, besides your bread adventures, um, Today's Good Pop Culture Club is all about the Olympics, the thing we should be watching right now, but aren't because of, well, you know. But before we get to our main topic, um, let's find out what pop culture's been getting us through the week. Uh, Jess, what's popping?
2: So I have turned to comfort watches in this time, and there is no watch more comforting to me than. Dirty Dancing, wait for it, to Havana Nights, which is now available to stream on Hulu. This mm-hmm. movie came out when I was twelve year old twelve years old and I am unashamed to say it was formative in my awakening as a woman because it stars one, Diego Luna dancing and oh I, 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 I am I am like double that age of when I first saw this movie and I almost like couldn't get through this movie because I felt so flustered. I was like getting red I'm like this is this is so like like this is peak sensuality for me. I think whatever you watched as like a prepubescent person. That you saw as like a that like really just made you like flustered as a 12 year old and will forever like be ingrained into you. And that is what happened with Dirty Dancing 2 Havana Nights. I have not watched Dirty Dancing 1. I think it's weird. He's like way older. Um, not really into the Patrick Swayze. Sorry. I will admit, this is not a good movie weirdly enough Peter Sagal has like a story credit on it I think Diego Luna himself is like very ashamed to have made this movie but I love it I own the DVD I own the soundtrack which fucking slaps to this day Um uh, and it was and that's where hips don't lie originally came from not with Shakira with Monica
1: you know I've never seen a dirty dancing period my family has a VHS but I've never watched it um but this sounds like did this movie come out in theaters or is this one of those directed? It, direct it did. I things? remember
2: watching it in mm-hmm. theaters with my mother and it was the single handedly second most awkward movie. <laughs> <thing laughs> sounds like ever your mom fucked up, up right me. there. <laughs> the first thing that ever happened was I went to the Britney Spears concert when she was like very sexual with my mother. That was weird, mm. but this was a close second. But to this day, worth it. Watch <laughs> it, embrace the cheese. Or I guess the queso, because we're in Havana. Whoa. Um, <laughs> it's a very cheesy, weird movie, but the dancing's hot and Diego Luna's hot. And honestly, I probably would have stayed in Cuba with him had it been me. <laughs> I,
0: I I do have to say, I just adore Diego Luna so much and just ha- have been following his career very happily. And his his views on Jabba the Hutt just make my heart flutter. Um I do remember this movie fondly, although I was way in a, into adult age when it came out for me. Um, but now that you say that it's on Hulu, I think it's been long enough that I think I need to check it out again because I love dance movies so much. Maybe just because I can't dance, um, but I really appreciate it. And then, like, I love so you can think you can dance. Like it always made me want to um, take contemporary dance lessons. Um, so, the latest dance movie I saw um, was that Netflix movie, Feel the Beat. And I really enjoyed that. Um, oh, and there's one called High Strung Free Dance on Netflix, which is <laughs>
1: as,
0: as bad as you think it is. Because the first High Strung, let me just tell you, was about a violinist and a dancer. High strung, get it? And then the second one, the new one, is about a pianist and a dancer. Um, and... The choreography is by one of the so you could think and dance choreographers. So, anyway, I will watch Dirty Dancing yes. with animes.
2: And I was so affected by this movie that I actually tried to take competitive ballroom <laughs> dancing in college. I was so bad, I only lasted a semester, but it was really fun. So, at that point, like, I was still, a, like, my hips, in fact, could lie. <laughs> because they could not move at all like my hips just were not I mean they I was were. like I was like a very innocent 18 year old I was like still a virgin at that time like it was it was like not zero sensuality it was it was there was no there was no like fluidity it was like a brick <laughs> swaying in the wind I like, I like my partner was like the same way so we were not very good I only lasted one semester but it was a fun semester Han, what's popping with you? Um, Also,
0: in the sort of rom-com-ish area, but maybe less dancing, um, I... Finally, finally, finally caught up with uh, Mindy Kaling's series adaptation, sort of sequel, whatever, in the same universe of Four Weddings and a Funeral. If you recall, um, the original movie was by Richard Curtis, and it had um, Hugh Grant and a bunch of other people, including Andy McDowell, and et cetera, et cetera. Um, Very British, very cute, Um, there were definitely four weddings and a funeral in it. And so this is a series, but it is contemporary set in London also, but with um, many Americans in it and British people playing American too. Uh, And, I just found it charming. I'm not sure why I never watched it at the time it was released. It was fairly recent, like last year, I believe. And um, Maybe it's just, you know, there's too much TV. There's a lot of stuff
1: coming on streaming, though. And I had
0: heard some maybe rumblings of like negative reviews, but honestly, I was very charmed by it. I thought mostly the acting was very good. The storylines were very cute. It was laugh-out-loud funny in moments. Um, And my new one of my many new heartthrobs is uh, Nikesh Patel. Very, very much a big fan of his. Like So attractive. Yeah, literally, there are moments when I was watching and just talking to the screen. I was just like, blah, 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 blah. But he's so hot, you know, <laughs> just, you know, since only my cats are here to hear me. Um, and I was just like, what the hell? And how did I not watch? I think it was like Indian Summer, which is a PBS series. And how have I not watched that yet? Because I watch all the PBS's. Um, yeah, I
2: went into like a deep dive of his like filmography because I, I want see more of him. Yeah, I I'm don't really recognize anything, but he's in something called Halal Daddy, and I really <laughs> hope it's what I think. That sounds
1: yeah, sounds
0: like
2: something I would if like, it was. Appreciate. I mean, yeah. So I am
0: definitely also going to start doing a deep dive there. Uh, all right, wait, I need to know Marvin, what's been popping with you? Because then I want to talk talk about it.
1: Oh. <laughs> So I've been um, I've been back on my on my on my binging um, I've been back I've been back on my binging habit is what I'm trying to say. Um, last week I watched the entire second season of Umbrella Academy, um, which I recommend if you like the first season. It's the same dysfunctional family of superpowered people running amok, only this time in the '60s. Um, but what I really want to talk about this week is anime. Like I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, um, I started catching up on some anime shows um, that are on Netflix and that's led me to looking up um, previous shows that I've been following and you know how sometimes like you're really into something, but then you miss a week or you miss a couple of releases and all of a sudden you just fall off the train and it just slips the wayside, right? But while you're on your hiatus, um, the content still keeps coming. So at some point you realize, wow, there's like two seasons of this thing I really like that I haven't watched in a while.
0: It's a good thing sometimes. You can catch up.
1: Yeah. So I was surfing around my Roku looking for something to watch. And then I realized that several of the shows that I've been catching up on, like that food anime I talked about before, um, Shokugeki no Soma or Food Wars, um, and Haikyu, the volleyball um, anime, have seasons that are currently unavailable on Netflix or Hulu on Crunchyroll. So um, I actually found myself logging into my Crunchyroll account for the first time in a while.
0: Oh, yes. I still yes. Haven't.
1: And let me tell you, the free version sucks ass. Um, every episode, there's like two or three commercial breaks. And each commercial break is like four to five commercials. It was not an efficient way of doing things. So um, after considering it for like 10 seconds, I bit the bullet and I activated my premium subscription uh, to get ad-free anime.
0: I love this because it's like, You don't have enough streaming services. You're like, nope. I gotta pay for Country Roll. But I'm excited because then you can tell me if it's worth it for me (laughs) to eventually get at least a month because I still want to watch Yuri on. It's the
1: same cycle for me, right? It's it's it's, I'll sign on for like two months, watch my fill, and then I'll cancel my account until something comes around again.
2: I feel like a recovering like anime addict. Like I was so I think everyone had a phase where then you're like deep into (laughs) it, and I have not been in it for over a decade now, I think. But I recently realized that I missed the entire reboot slash ending of Inuyasha.
1: Right.
2: Which was like my gateway drug. Inuyasha is everyone's anime gateway drug. It's everyone's first hit of like marijuana. Okay. But like it's the first joint that gets passed to you at a (laughs) party or whatever. And I like it just I didn't know there was like a whole ass like last chapter that they released to finish the show so i watched that like all in one night
1: yeah totally and the last show that i did that with was um so i was surfing through crunchyroll since i have this premium account now i wanted to check out what's new and um personally um over the last few years my tastes have you know expanded i've been consuming a much more broader um array of of media and, you know, part of it is because of, um, you know, the book club that I do, been exposed to more genres like romance and YA. And so um, I was open to, you know, checking out different types of anime, too. So one of the shows caught my eye. It's um, It has a really long name. It's called uh, My Next Life as a Villainess. Um, All Roads Lead to Doom. And the premise is a Japanese high school schoolgirl um, dies in the real world and gets reincarnated into the world of her favorite um, like Otome um, dating sim, which is a genre of dating sim that's more female-focused, typically starring a female protagonist that's trying to um, woo a cast of uh, usually emotionally damaged men. But the twist is she gets reincarnated as the villainess of that game. um, And because she is a fan, she knows that for this particular character, There's only two possible endings that the character can experience, um, either exile or death. So the story starts as she regains her memories of her previous life and realizing the predicament that she's in, proceeds to freak out and try to um, course correct. Uh, Luckily, she's still a child um, and it's eight years before the start of where the game would be. So um, she sets out to prevent her own death by essentially solving the emotional traumas of the four romanceable characters and inadvertently um, becomes the object of everyone's affections. So the show is kind of a reverse harem anime, but it actually goes further than that because the show has such a powerful harem main character, um, she actually becomes the object of affection of both the male and female characters of the cast.
2: We're into, it. We're into creates
1: it. a bisexual um ultra harem and let me tell you the show is pretty fucking delightful um i started it not expecting to love it but i ended up watching like all 12 episodes in one night because it was so fun and harem animes aren't typically my thing i usually find the characters a little too um manic and kind of loud and to be honest a lot of them get kind of pervy um, but uh, for this show, even though there's a lot of thirstiness going on, it never veers into like perverted territory. There's not a lot of fan service. There's not a lot of like unbelievable um, proportions. Um, everything's kind of tasteful and wholesome, and it was such a refreshing watch. So so the, the show, again, is um, My Next Life as a Villainous, um, All Roots Lead to Doom. The show just wrapped its first season, I think, a week ago. So um, all 12 episodes of season one are available now. You can watch it now on Crunchyroll, with or without ads, depending on if you have a premium subscription or not. But if you are a fan of anime and want something that's a nice, you know, light watch during these dark times, um, I definitely give it a recommendation. And with that, that's another edition of What's Poppin'. Uh, When we come back, we're talking all about the Olympics and Olympic movies. Uh, Stick around.
2: Hey, Brian, did you go to Saturday school as a kid? please cut the song in like every chance you get
1: (laughs) welcome back to good pop just do you miss that fanfare (laughs)
2: okay let's be real the amount of commercial breaks that nbc puts you through you hear that fanfare more than anything else during the entire coverage of the olympics you watch that fan or you listen to that fanfare more than you watch (laughs) the actual sports
1: right do you think other countries play the john williams olympic fanfare or is it just us
2: that's a good question is it like an NBC American thing, or is it just an Olympics thing? It's John Williams. I feel like it would be foolish not to use it globally.
1: Right, but it was John Williams. It was the piece that he wrote for the, I think it was 1984 LA Olympics?
2: Yeah, 84. 84.
0: John alive, Williams so. wrote
1: this song for those Olympics. So technically, it is an oh, American I Olympics. I did not. Theme.
2: Yeah, but it's John Williams. And you know Americans, we like to like... <laughs> Overstay our welcome everywhere else. So why not in Olympic themes?
1: The song that invokes Olympics to me is the Briscoe County Junior theme that they use for the coming up. hum it It's um it's the dun 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 yeah.
2: Yeah. So
1: that theme is from a early nineties um Bruce Campbell sci fi cowboy series called the Adventures of Briscoe County Junior, which I have yeah. memories of watching, but no memories of at all of the actual show.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, also, I think also an NPC property, which is why they use it.
2: Well, to yeah. me, the fanfare and the Olympics are in, like intimately tied. Um, and I, I do miss hearing that. So I just play it as I do mundane things around the house right now. Like when I finish solving a jigsaw puzzle or after I've done like cleaning my room or like plating dinner, I just will throw the fanfare out. So it, it brings the Olympics a little, a little closer to home, you know?
1: <laughs> what do you miss most about the Olympics?
2: Uh, I think the – I love it. I do not watch sports. Like I don't watch actually watch sports. But I love a sports movie because of the like narrative of sports movies. Right. And I think the Olympics are like sports movies on – steroids
1: i mean every single olympic sport is a sports movie in itself exactly
2: uh and then you have like the just it's it's really like the drama of the athletes combined with watching people who are in theory the same species as you do really amazing shit with their bodies. I think those two combined, um, and it's like a fairly low investment, right? Like I don't have to necessarily pick up all the rules of a new sport or a new game. I can just be like, oh, he touched the wall first, so he wins, or that guy ran faster than the other guy, so he wins. There's something very carnal about some of these events uh, that is just like inherently dramatic and inherently exciting to watch and then you like add another layer of like national patriotism and like bragging rights (laughs) and the stakes are like just so much higher because they only happen every four years and it's just great human drama i'm all here for it
1: it's even better when there's actual like heroes and villains right and how much of that is editing and how much of that is like the media telling us what to believe, you know?
2: Oh, it's definitely editing. But I think if they're the kernels, not there, it would be foolish to not capitalize on some of these (laughs) like inherent dramatic things, right? Like when Michael Phelps in 2004 was going for his eight medals, eight gold medals, he was trying to set a new world record or Olympic record. Like that was just, that's kind of amazing. Or to see someone who did uh, poorly in the last olympics and is now on a redemption arc narrative that's always great too <laughs> those i think are my two redemption arc is one, always one of my favorites uh f- for for someone for whatever reason whether it was personal tragedy uh misjudgment or injury they did not succeed as they should have in the previous olympics now must come back and prove that they were not a fluke not a one-shot wonder and they truly are the best
1: <laughs> I miss the rivalries that form in like a series of events like um in I forgot when it was but when Anton Apollo Ono first jumped onto the stage and it was pretty much him versus every South Korean yes that was an exciting sports movie right there
0: yeah I, I definitely like the storytelling um, I do have to say I prefer to watch I'll watch most everything but I do prefer to watch the the events that have a bit more of an artistic performance aspect mm. to it and some precision um, so of course figure skating and gymnastics are my main <laughs> two and anything related to that but yeah I I've been caught you know watching discus throwing and whatever else they have um, it's like you're saying you know you don't you need to know anything about the sport but I think the the media has a does a good job of kind of sometimes breaking down you know what to look out for even if you're not yeah. an expert in
1: it. Uh, I think definitely as you know as Asians my earliest olympic moment or memory was rooting for Christy Yamaguchi in like was it 1998 or 94? No, it was
2: 92. 92? 92 Nagano. It's all a blur to me. I wasn't alive, but uh <laughs>
1: Yeah, Chrissy Yamaguchi won in 92, and then 94 was the Lillehammer Olympics. And that was the year that um, Nancy Kerrigan was attacked by Tanya Harding's ex and was sidelined. That year is especially notable because Michelle Kwan, at age, I think, 14, qualified for the Olympics but gave her a spot to Nancy Kerrigan.
2: Oh, Michelle. Uh, Let me tell you, me, Michelle Kwan, and the Olympics... Like that's one of my earliest memories, and I I have to say I think a really exciting part of watching the Olympics was it was probably one of the rare instances that there was like explicitly positive representation of Asian Americans in media. Like we dominated in many sports, even like early in the like the like the nineties. So it was like <laughs> it was like one of the few times, that Michelle Kwan was probably the earliest figure I could recognize as someone who represented me. So I was a huge fan. I bought like her book and it came with like this a replica of her good luck charm that her grandparents gave her and I would clutch it and I was not religious but I would literally pray for her <laughs> to win. And when she tripped and did not win gold in the Olympics, I cried. Like I that is when just you learned about disappointment and how <laughs> life was uncertain and I'm still traumatized by that. And it's just <laughs> I <I'm laughs> was hurt. your um,
1: that was your sports moment where it's like the championship game, your team made it to the end. It's there, the victory is within grasp and then it just slips through their fingers.
2: But it's like even worse because a team, a team, a franchise has like the longevity of your entire lifetime. You could have been like a Like the Cubs eventually won. The White Sox, you know, like the the Red Sox eventually won. Like it took maybe several decades, but they finally won. But a life of a figure skater, career of a figure skater, of a gymnast is like, especially if you're a woman, is so much smaller. And I was just like devastated. And I just kind of knew that I don't I didn't. I, I kind of knew in my heart that she was never going to get the gold, which sucks because she has such an amazing career and like literally people remember her for not winning the gold. But that's how it is. That's how it goes down in the Olympics. All right. It's a one shot, maybe two times shots in your lifetime to make it count. Can you can you stand up to the pressure
1: unless you're a curler? Then you can play for as long as you want.
2: Yeah, that's
0: what I was thinking. It's like if you really love the Olympics, you can go into archery or curling. And I believe those are kind of less age-specific um,
1: or dependent. <laughs> or change your citizenship to a country that has less athletic um, roots.
0: <laughs> Gina Davis, didn't she make it into the Olympics for archery? She did. Like,
2: a very multi talented yeah. lady. <laughs> but okay, so... Mensa member. Are you guys... Pro winter or pro summer Olympics? If you had to pick one, I don't care which. Really? Okay, fine. No. We can we're equal
0: opportunity stands <laughs> here. You know what? Back in the day, they were both the same. So why should I pick?
1: So I'm I've always been more partial to winter sports. Um, I just think they're more exciting.
0: I want to say a lot of them have to do with speed. Yeah, a lot. A lot of that. going
1: fast. A lot of um,
0: going downhill. Visual.
1: A lot of tricks, yes. A lot of flash. Yeah. You know, so you're
0: maybe not as big into like track and field and stuff. I watch it? it. I like I mean?
1: it. It's um, it, they're amazing. It's just um, mm-hmm. not as exciting in terms of like, you know, it's not like they're doing backflips over the hurdles, right? <laughs>
0: yeah like with me i really can't pick because summer has gymnastics yeah and winter has the figure skating yeah. so as and a spectator
1: i i think i enjoy and maybe this is like my canadian blood speaking as well but i just you know <laughs> i i feel like winter sports are a little bit more extreme in a lot of cases mm. um i mean summer sports are great too and i like watching like the more obscure ones like like high level ping yeah. pong and like <laughs> um fencing mm-hmm.
2: oh yeah ping
0: pong
1: um there's a lot more variety i guess but uh yeah
2: I like a lot of the winter sports and I will say like looking at, you know, this list we have here, like Asians, we kind of dominate at a lot of the winter sports, but Mm -hmm. I like how summer sport, the summer Olympics are a little more widespread because, you know, just it costs more to do winter sports, right? Like the infrastructure you need. You need equipment. Yeah. And if you don't come from a winter, like a snowy country, that means you have to have a base somewhere in a snowy country. Ice rink or a like a sled, like a sledding, like it just costs more. Mm -hmm. Versus Summer Olympics, are like, can you run fast? Can you swim fast? Like, okay, (laughs) let's like get to that baseline first. Like, you learn the basic skill. Hey, you're really good. Let's like push you now. You
0: can spend money for like the trainers and stuff. Yeah, it's a little more
2: equitable. Not saying it's equitable, but it's a little more of a fair playing field globally. Uh, versus like the Winter Olympics, it's like it's the Scandinavian countries, the United States, and Canada, like competing for mm-hmm. the three met- the top medal spots. Uh, maybe also with Japan, the- Korea, Japan, um... Korea. Yeah, I'm thinking about the really obscure winter sports like biathlon, where you just ski <laughs> yes. for a really long time and then you shoot targets. He shooting and I was like okay I... yeah like a Finnish person is gonna win that every year or a Swedish person is gonna win that every year like that's literally
0: they've been doing that since like, birth like
2: generations <laughs> they've been doing that okay like let's let's just let's just give it to them um uh, but maybe yeah. with the exception of one very amazing story that is related to your favorite movie Marvin your favorite Olympic theme movie which is <laughs> what is that
1: um so I asked everyone to come up with uh a, in lieu of the Olympics, an Olympic movie that you know really spoke to them, and I wouldn't say it's my favorite Olympic movie, but definitely when I think about Olympic movies, this was the first movie to pop into my head, and that's Disney's Cool Runnings.
2: <laughs> it's a great movie.
1: Yeah, it came out in 1993, directed by the same dude who directed the National Treasure series, um, Three Ninjas, and oh, recently Three The Meg. We've all seen it, right?
0: I have by now. I actually, had to, I actually had to watch it for the first time on Disney+. Plus. Wow, yeah. Just this weekend.
1: <laughs> I mean, it's, it's your standard sports movie, you know. Uh, underdog story. Um, this team of people who have no business being in this sport, in this case, bobsledding, um, as Jamaicans decide to do it because um, they missed their chance to get into the Summer Olympics as sprinters. And um, they enlist a shady coach, uh, played by the late great John Candy and um try to go the distance and um it's just a feel good movie um and definitely like in terms of like when 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 I think of olympic movie it's it was literally the first movie that came to mind
2: yeah so what makes a great olympic movie so you need to have underdogs definitely need to have like, the yeah. underdog you-
0: it's either underdog or redemption one yeah. of those two where they're unlikely
2: yeah. right um you have to have you know people coming together to team as a team to make yeah. it work like disparate yeah. personalities disparate backgrounds or goals like characters coming together to make mm-hmm. it work
0: Training sequence. Training
2: sequence, definitely. Um, there has to be, like, a big bad, right? Like, someone, like, mm-hmm. a rival or a baddie who's, yep. like, mean or, like, doesn't deserve to win. There has to be a failure along the way somewhere. Yeah, a setback. So that way they have to overcome. Yeah, and yes. something to overcome. Overcome and it. And I think, I think what makes a really great Olympic movie or a great sports movie in general is that, like, it unveils the hero's, like, purity of character right like not only are they great at their sport and they're like the underdog but they're actually like good people who deserve to win to me that's i mean for a lot
1: of sports movies not just olympic movies in general it's it's the the love of the game versus the love of like money yeah Yeah. i think that's
2: the character right like it has the intentions have to be pure like they have to Like, want to either represent themselves, their family, or their country, and not be in it for, like, just, like, the fame or the glory or the money. Yeah,
1: Yeah, and in Cool Runnings, the team faces constant, like, crises of faith. Throughout the movie, they're told by everyone, including their own, you know, families, that... There's no way they could win and in the grand scheme of things there is no way they could win but the important thing is that they finish a race so they can call themselves olympians and like spoiler warning for this like 27 year old movie but they don't like the movie doesn't end with them getting like a gold medal or defying the odds the movie ends with them crashing in their official run and like walking their bobsled to the finish line. That was beautiful. I'm not going to lie.
2: That that last scene does make me cry in Cool Runnings. It's I'm beautiful. glad that wasn't
0: spoiled for me. Because when I watched it, I was like, oh, great. Because, you know, since it's history, I could have Googled um, or wikipedia it. And I didn't. <laughs> I try not to for these things. And um, my Olympic movie only released a year before yours. And yet feels like it should have been released 10 years before yours, is The Cutting Edge. (laughs) Um, And I really, really loved, and I still don't mind, but uh, lots and lots of caveats. So Cutting Edge stars tb sweeney and moira kelly she is a figure skater who keeps having problems with her partners and he's a hockey player who uh, gets injured because he's an asshole and he got knocked over um, by an opponent and he now has less peripheral vision in one eye so he can no longer compete in ice hockey because you really need your peripheral vision so um he because uh her coach um is desperate to find another partner. And for some reason, she keeps having problems with these partners. He gets this guy and they get together and they're both desperate. They practice uh, whenever he doesn't understand, you know, why the figure skates have these little ridges on the tops at the, on the tips. And it turns out it's a toe pick. So every time she makes him trip, she laughs at him and says toe pick is a big thing. um, Quotable moment and uh, they hate each other. And eventually, of course, they love each other. But the part that like I rewatched it and I was like, wow, this soundtrack is horrible because like I didn't know any of the songs except for like one song during a party. So I was like, this is amazingly bad. And then also, you know, of course, they're going to require some (laughs) trick photography. It was worse than I remembered it because everything was either super up close with her face. Or it was super far and in in uh, silhouette, so clearly you know other skaters um and I real and I you know Googled later and found out like within a week of uh this shooting, Moira Kelly like injured her ankle, um, but anyway, um what the thing so that's bad enough, but then also the thing that really just annoyed me, and I was like, oh, this is why it felt like an eighties movie was um the main dude such a womanizer such a womanizer to the point where it's like ha ha he can't remember the g- lady he's sleeping with at the very beginning of the movie um and she's like a german like i don't know athlete
1: i mean this th- the the setup sounds like one of those Catherine heigl rom-coms where it's yeah. like it's still a woman gets like yeah. her her defense is broken rich. down by like
0: He's rich, he's, a, he's sort of an oaf, and they somehow come in the middle and she makes him read Great Expectations and all that stuff. <laughs> so the thing is, the bones are there for the classic good rom-com. I still think Mara Kelly is very charming despite kind of her bitchiness, you know, character. Um, so there are things to like about it, but it def- definitely didn't hold up as much uh-huh. as I thought it was going to. But it did spark three sequels uh, one with Christy Carlson Romano. And then two, and I think they were all straight to TV. Wow. Um, and then two, I forgot who's starring in it now. But now I was just like, oh, maybe I should go watch those now. Um, because there is something about the whole uh, competing and partners uh, and love on ice. Just sort of same with like dance partners who don't like each other. It's all great because they have to find their chemistry. Yeah. And um, It's yeah. a sports so, movie sports movie and the Olympics, uh, their opponents. So, oh, oh, yeah, and, I, yeah. I knew
1: that Cutting Edge was a figure skating movie. I've seen like the box when I was at VHS stores, but I didn't realize it was an Olympics movie.
0: Well, they make it to the Olympics. They do go through the nationals first. Oh, and the other thing, of course, looking at it in retrospect, that disturbed me was, you know, like where are all the Asians? Like this is figure skating we're talking about, and their main opponents were not even Asians at the Olympics. I think were they um, Russians? Just
2: Russians, yes. of course. Oh, yes. Russians. Yeah. yes. of course. I
0: Russian.
1: think Russians in general have always been like the bad guy in Olympic movies because they're.
2: I mean, we had thirty years there yeah. of like Soviet tensions to draw upon, so. And then, of course, there are like some
0: siblings, and that's like classic. Like I think Blades of Glory also had like some siblings, incestuous yeah. siblings. Yeah. Yes. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Well your movie is very white and um but it was at least made in like nineteen ninety two whereas the movie I am selecting was very <laughs> white, was made in two thousand four, so it really has zero excuse, but I still love it. Um it's like literally the opposite of what I think people would think I'd like. Like I'm a professional Asian American. This movie has zero zero Asian people, let alone like any non white people, like zero. And the movie I'm picking is Miracle, the Disney Channel ice hockey movie from 2004. Um, Yeah, (laughs) zero, like, zero white, uh, non-white people, one woman in a cast of, like, 30 people.
0: Please remind me what the plot of this is. I know I watched yeah. it, I just oh, can't remember I mean it, it
1: it is it is a hockey movie taking place during the Cold War. Yes, it is so, it like...
2: follows Wait. it follows the miracle on ice, which was a real life uh, basically when the United States men's hockey team and this is when uh, we did not have pro athletes competing in any of the sports. So essentially a group of college hockey players have are being put together by their coach, Herb Brooks, who 20 years earlier was the last player cut before the team went on to win the Olympic gold at the 1960 Olympics. So we got a redemption story from the coach. Two, uh, you have the underdog story because they're a bunch of, the United States team is made up of a bunch of college players um, and they have to go against the big, bad Soviet team, which has been dominating the sport for decades. So we got a good, rival enemy, you know, opponent. And then for the United States team's players are all comprised of people who actually hate each other because they compete nationally against each other so they've had rivalries going on since high school um specifically the boston team versus the minnesota team so they actually don't like each other very much but they have to band together they're all like very young in their early 20s so they have to band together to form this team to beat the big bad russian supergroup. it's extremely well shot in terms of i will say yeah, very wide movie, but it's a very well shot hockey movie. They shoot it extremely well. And when they cast this movie, they actually went to go look for hockey players that wanted to act or actors who could play hockey. So like the playing <laughs> mm-hmm. is really good and then Kurt Russell as the coach kind of anchors the dramatic uh you know scenes. It's great. There's training montages, there's team there's like the the lowest point moment where they're like and then they they have to like band together as a team and like uh, you know realize that they're playing for the United States not for their home team not for their cities not for their colleges not for their coaches but for themselves and for their country and man it's just really good propaganda would highly recommend and the fact that it's (laughs) real life in real life they did in fact spoiler win against this big bad Soviet team uh, and there's some really great cinematic moments from real life that kind of was just, it just like, it was already so movie, like the real life events. And of course it made great movie moments.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's one of those instances where art imitates life, imitates art, right? Where this is such, it was already very compelling narrative, even like live, Yes. And then it played out and then it, it turns into a great movie. I mean, listening to you explain the plot, it's basically a sports movie. You, you could have been explaining the plot to the Mighty Ducks. Yeah. Right, because it's essentially the same. The Russians are the Hawks. The U.S. team are the Ducks, and um, Kurt Russell is Emilio Estevez. Estevez. Yeah.
2: Yeah, and um, it's it's a it's much more sin- serious in tone. It's actually shot. I think they were going for like a Oscar aesthetic. It's not a traditional like Disney sports movie. It's not necessarily like Remember the Titans or. Um, you know something a little more obvious like in that tone it's a lot more subtle which is surprising and so that's what mind boggles me i really shouldn't like this movie it's all things i don't necessarily like but for some reason it all works together
1: i mean isn't that your relationship with the olympics in general Mm
2: -hmm. it's the sports underdog story and that's
0: what it that's what it does so yeah i'm I'm, I'm a a sucker for that too it
2: got me (laughs) um and it it's I mean, even the dedicate like everything from the music is great, so it's in the seventies right the late seventies because it's the nineteen eighty Olympics, so they start training for about for about like a year before the fashion is great, like all the long hair on the men it's like all men it's all men, the cast is all men because it's a men 's hockey team, so the fashion all white men, all white men not 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 a single non white person in this movie i that I can recall. Uh, but the like the 70s, like hair, they all have to like grow out ha- They all have long hair. It's great. The pants, like the little flared pants um, and the mustaches. I would not say they're great mustaches, but they're good period piece mustaches. So respect.
0: <laughs> I might have to watch that then and have a uh, dirty dancing Havana nights for dessert. <laughs> oh yes.
1: yes. Well it's it's a Disney movie so I assume it's on Disney Plus. It is
2: streaming. Yes, on I saw it when
0: I after I watched Cool Runnings it, it recommended Miracle to me. <laughs>
2: and I will say I have been to one exactly one live hockey game in my life. No, I still haven't. And it was the most Did you like it? It was fun. I had no idea what was going on. And it was the most extra thing I have ever been to. Like, both the game itself... I mean, I really want to go because I wanted to see two dudes fight. And I did see that. Mm. That did not disappoint. <laughs> uh, but the audience was, like, very extra. Like, everyone's very heated about the game. And everyone well, did you was... go to a Kings
1: game or a Ducks game?
2: I went to a Golden Knights game in Vegas.
1: Oh, wow. Yeah, those...
2: They're very extra... The interludes are very extra. Like whenever there's a timeout, you know, they have to like entertain you. And I'm just looking around, and I was like, How did women get the stereotype of being the dramatic ones? This is like the most dramatic shit I have ever seen in my life. <laughs> over a bunch of dudes hitting like a plastic puck into nets. Like That was a good it's time all though. PR. It was a good time.
1: Yeah. So, um is there anything you don't miss about the Olympics?
2: I do not miss The subtextual racism that courses through Olympics discourse whenever you start talking about other nationalities or other races doing sports.
1: Mm. I feel like this bubbles up every time um, the Americans beat the Japanese teams. People always bring up like World War II and Hiroshima for some reason. Oh my Even though it like, has nothing to do with the current situation, it has nothing to do with the players.
2: And it's also like that was like a globally historically tragic event that you're using as a parallel for like some like for them being better at you in gymnastics. Yeah. Not appropriate, <laughs> sirs. It's also like- really annoying because I believe
0: some of the earliest um Japanese athletes were in the Olympics for America. Like I think they were. I can't remember
2: which sports, but yeah, like track and field swimming, and stuff like that. And one of, Jap- one of the, I think the first yeah. Asian American to win a Olympic medal was um, was was in swimming, and it was a Hawaiian, Japanese Hawaiian man, a Sammy. I I watched a whole play about this, and I can't remember, but yeah, like it's it's <laughs> yeah. not appropriate. Um, you know, a lot of racist vitriol gets spilled out from, you know people watching and sometimes from like the commentators who should know better
1: yeah I think what it is is just international sport is great stories of human triumph over adversity no matter where they come from is always like you want to hear those stories those are stories worth telling because it tells you what's possible if you put your mind on something but you throw in nationalities rivalries and just people's poor just like general conceptualization of history and historical like events I mean leave it to international competition to really emphasize the stereotypes of the American average American citizen. Mm-hmm. Right.
2: Yeah. And it's I always, I always, yeah. you know, I do think it's like a net positive in terms of showing what humanity can do and is about and like what really talented people around the world can do. But occasionally there's always like an ugly side, right? Like the drug scandals and the cheating. Every time someone cheats, you know, it just kind of makes, bums me out.
1: I mean, like, the whole, like, U.S. gymnastics team, like, sexual the harassment, abuse. sexual abuse. Oh, yeah, that's that
2: terrible. Out, I and yeah. I think, I mean, we've said before, like, is it worth, like, having all these survivors and, like, you know, having people, like, basically be traumatized to win a gold medal? Like, no, it's not. Don't do that.
0: No. That's actually why I was, like, another reason why I'm bummed that this Olympics isn't happening because this would have been the first Olympics uh, for the gymnastic women's gymnastics team without the Carolis as the coaches and Larry Nasser as the doctor, well, all together. So like without that sort of toxic environment, I was very curious to see what, how we would do and like, you know, who would they, let's say be older, (laughs) you know, like look older, would they be less, you know, traumatized? Would they, you know, um. I kind of wanted them to prove themselves, and we didn't get this chance this year. So who knows what next year is going to bring? But FYI, everyone listen to Heavy Metals, the Thirty for Thirty podcast, and watch Athlete A on Netflix. So you really kind of like know what happened. And it, and I feel really bad because, of course, I was cheering on all these gymnasts, but uh, knowing exactly what they went through, I'm just like, nope. Give them all. Give those medals back. It was not worth it, you know. But but like, and and it's tragic because
2: some of these. I mean, it's such a weird thing. It's like on one hand, this terrible thing happened and it should have never happened, and nothing is worth that harm. And then on the other hand, you see, but then it's undeniable how amazingly talented so many of these athletes are, and they are Mm -hmm. like like watching Simone Biles perform like even like the last olympic just thinking of like her floor routines and uh, it just like it makes me cry like she is incredible she's like the michael jordan and the michael phelps and like the mike tyson and the michael jackson like all (laughs) combined of jenna she's literally like they're gonna run out of like there's gonna be so many moves named the biles By the time her career is over, right? (laughs) Like, that's how good she is. And, like, no one can touch her, which is right now. Like, no one can touch her. So I'm just like, oh, like, but I don't want that to happen at the cost of you being harmed. Well, but that's exactly why I wanted
0: to see what's happening now. And, you know, we'll see next year, I'm hoping.
1: Well, do you guys think that the Olympics will be coming back?
0: In a year, you mean? I sure hope so. I feel like so. that's very
1: optimistic thinking. Seeing the, um, like, what would it even look like? Like, can you can you do a bubble Olympics? That's so many people, right?
2: I think if you really wanted to, you could. It would just take a lot of time, coordination, and money. And you could still broadcast it. But until there's a vaccine, there's not going to be... Yeah. Spectators is the thing. Which means they won't make the money that way. That's
0: where money... (sighs) Yeah.
1: But until then, at least we have our Olympics movies to tide us over.
2: Um, (laughs) But (pieceshabitude) sad.
1: On that note, <laughs> I guess um, that'll do it for this episode of Good Pop. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you to Jess and Han for talking Olympics and Olympics movies with us. Um, if people want to follow you guys on social media, where can they go?
2: I'm at JessJuTweets
0: on Twitter. And I'm at Anonymous, H-A-N-H-O-N-Y-M-O-U-S.
1: And you can follow me at Marvin Yue. You can follow the show at Good Pop Club. And listen and subscribe to us by going to the website goodpop.club. Uh, I want to thank the Potluck Podcast Collective for letting us be a part of the group. Uh, Potluck is a collective of Asian-American hosted podcasts. Um, You can check out our fellow Potluck pods by going to the website podcastpotluck.com. And yeah, thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next time on Good Pop.
2: Dun, 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 dun. Hey, Kim! Steve? What's going on?
3: Tell me. What do you know about K-dramas?
2: Oh! Um, they have something to do
0: with the drama that comes from K-cup coffee pots, cause you know they're bad for the environment. Uh, no. Oh,
1: you mean Korean dramas? Yeah, I know that they are very grounded in reality. No!
3: That's actually the opposite of what happens. It it sounds like you don't know anything about K-dramas. Yeah, I was just guessing. That's actually perfect. Remember Will, Phil, and Joanna did that Korean drama podcast? Yeah, they saw Boys Over Flowers. Yes, and people apparently listened to it and want another season. But Will and Phil are still recovering from that season.
2: Oh my god, are they okay? I did hear they tried to give themselves amnesia.
3: Oh, is that a K-drama thing? Yeah, pretty much. So... Are you guys down to help out with the new season of the Korean Drama Podcast?
2: So we're going to be watching a K-drama this time? Which one?
3: Secret Garden from 2010. It was a big hit. And if you're down, check out the Korean Drama Podcast at koreandramapod.com. Kaja!
0: Am I going to see sauna towel buns?